Let us pray together. Father God, thank you for scripture. We thank you, Lord, that you speak to us through your word. And I ask, Lord, for hearts that would be prepared, ready to receive, hearts that would be pliable, teachable, Lord, good ground to receive what you will speak to us and teach us this evening. And so we thank you. Please be with me. I commit everything back to you, Lord. Uh, speak through your servant, Lord. I'm only a vessel that you are using, and I'm thankful, Lord, for this privilege to declare your word. And so we thank you, we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. That's a title for this message. Good morning. And if you are like me, I'm not really a morning person. You, know, you try to wake me up, uh, it's... It's tough sometimes, and that's why it's so ironic that God would give me a ministry called Our Keeper's Awakening. I'm not a morning person. And have you heard that quip before that when you say, uh, good morning to someone, you know, and that guy is cheeky, looks at you and says, what's so good about the morning? Yeah, have you heard that? Yeah? And in a way, it's related. Um, you know, the word morning and the word morning, and I want to say this over and over again for the benefit of our listeners because they don't have the benefit of seeing um, the word spelt out. So morning sounds like morning and morning sounds like morning. There's a scene from um, The Hobbit, from the series, of course, written by Tolkien. And those of you who are fans of uh, Lord of the Rings will recognize this guy called Bilbo and the other guy, which is Gandalf, right? So... Bilbo one day, you know, looks at Gandalf and says, good morning. He was happy enough to just declare that and greet uh, Gandalf. But Gandalf looks at him and says, what do you mean? Do you wish me a good morning? Or mean that it is a good morning whether I want it or not? Or that you feel good this morning? Or that it is a morning to be good on? <laughs> and so Bilbo looks at him like, uh, I suppose all of them at once, you know, and... Sometimes it's like that, right? You know, if we're not morning people, we don't know what morning is all about. Someone wishes you good morning, you come up with all these kinds of questions. But more specific to our topic or our, the issue at hand, why would someone wish you good morning? I mean, any of you like to mourn in this place? Right? And if you are really going through a time or a period of, of mourning... Honestly, the last thing you want to say to someone is good morning. And if you say that to me, I won't just joke with you to say what's so good about the morning. I might just find you totally insensitive. Don't expect me to take it nicely. After all, who enjoys morning? And if you think back, perhaps some of you might have gone through a time of suffering, a time of grief, Pain, loss. We read in the newspapers, you know, it's filled with many of these stories. The most recent being the car that drove out from that ramp and uh, somehow lost control and went into the canal. And both the passenger as well as the driver died. Can you imagine the grief the father as well as the husband is experiencing at this point in time? Perhaps you are going through a season of difficulty right now. Would there be a framework or you know, an experience of, of, of mourning that's going through? It may not be that serious, but you may be going through some problem that may be difficult. And someone comes to you and says, good morning. Now we look at mourning as a bad thing for us to go through. And yet Jesus declares this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Jesus declares a makarios. These are the people who mourn. These are blessed ones. But there's a little caveat. There's a little condition. If you don't understand mourning, if you don't understand what Jesus is really talking about, then that blessedness is not really experienced. And it is for that reason I coined this title called Good Morning because you want to mourn well. You want to know what the good morning is so that you can experience that makarios or that blessedness that Jesus is trying to share here with us. 
So that you can declare, when you look at this verse, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It almost sounds like Jesus declaring, oh, the blessedness of suffering. Anyone want to shout that right now? Oh, the blessedness of suffering. That's why sometimes they look at us Christians and they say, you guys are mad. You guys are upside down. They say, yeah, that's true. That's what the kingdom is all about. What's a good morning? What constitutes good morning? That's our focus tonight. For that, let's look at this one word called mourn and do a bit of a word study. It is taken from this Greek word pantheo. Literally, of course, to mourn, to lament, to weep, to wail loudly. In fact, this word is the strongest term in the Greek for pain and for suffering, that, that when someone cries, it's not just a... The word weep doesn't even really express that enough. It is to wail loudly. You've gone to funerals, you've been to wakes, and especially, you know, the person is as composed as he or she can be, isn't it? But when that time comes when you're at the crematorium, when you're saying that last goodbye, and when you see that hers being rolled in on those tracks into the cremation room, you see the loved ones wail. That's the kind of expression, you understand? Where it just hits you and it's like you, you let everything go. This word is associated with nouns that describe suffering, grief, sadness. A related word would describe passion. Now, we look at passion and we say, oh, you know, you must be passionate today. We use it in such a positive term. But the connotation is one of suffering. That's what passion means. It's a Latin word that we get is English, passion. So when you see the passion of Christ, it's not that Jesus is, wow, so passionate that He hopped and skipped and jumped to the cross. The word passion means suffering. So the passion of Christ literally means the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if I ask you to be passionate about something, it really means that you should be willing to suffer for this thing that you seem to enjoy. That's why we call it passion. Are you willing to suffer for something? Because if it's a desire that's strong enough, and the opposite word is lust, where it has negative connotations. If it's strong enough, that desire, you are willing to take that hardship to have it. The parallel verse to the one that we are reading this evening is Luke chapter 6, verse 21. The second part of it, where Jesus says, Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. So there's a parallel verse in that, you know, Jesus uses a different word, but He gives you that same type of thing. Is that, you know, whatever you're going through now, however difficult, you can be weeping, crying, mourning, wailing out loud. But it's okay, because in there will be a blessing, and you shall laugh, and you shall be comforted. In verse 25 of Luke chapter 6, He gives the opposite. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. And so we say, morning, good, blessed. You've got to be kidding me, right? I mean, even now when you're looking at this, it's like, cannot be. La. And our, our, our mind, the way we've been trained to understand this or not understand this, it's hard for us to accept. And perhaps that is why so many try to, to rationalize away the relevancy of the Sermon on the Mount. It cannot be true. I mean, it cannot be for us. Jesus probably didn't mean it for us. And so they say, like we've gone through before, right? It says it's pre-cross, you know. Jesus hadn't gone to the cross yet. That's why they're all mourning. So now, no need already. It's post-cross, you know. Oh, it's for all covenant people. We are new covenant, so no need. So it's no longer for Christians today. But can I remind you, this is what the king proclaimed. Has the king changed? This is what the kingdom is all about. Has he changed his mind? He has not. This is the way of the people of the kingdom of God. And if we say that we are subjects of, the, of this kingdom, then how can we conveniently put this one side? As we've gone through the first beatitude, talks about being poor in spirit, and we talk about brokenness. Then the second beatitude extends from that understanding. 
As we look at the Beatitudes one by one, do yourself a favor, don't leave the last one behind. Because they are so closely related that one flows into another and before you know it, it's really a lifestyle of understanding of how a kingdom person should conduct himself or herself. So this second beatitude extends from that first one because if you have experienced true brokenness, you will mourn. It's related. I was contemplating actually, you know. You know, we talked about... um, going from basement one, basement two, and basement three coming down. Or if you don't like the going down, or you want like to go up, then it's going from uh, rung number one of the ladder, right? And rung number two and rung number three. Okay, so I thought, hey, maybe this title can be called R2B2. Okay, no Star Wars fans, fans here. <laughs> oh yeah, you've got Star Wars fans, so you understand that, right? And so as with the first beatitude, this is not a new concept. We always have to go back to the Old Testament to understand something that has been mentioned in the New Testament, right? And so, there are many verses, but I'm just going to look at one passage here in Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 3. This, we know, is something that points to the Messiah. Jesus declares this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. This is a messianic proclamation, a, a prophecy about the King who is to come. And so when Jesus comes on to this scene and He declares this, what He is actually saying is, look, I am that Messiah. This is my identity. When I declare this beatitude and I tell you that if you mourn, you will be comforted, I'm the one who's going to bring you that comfort. It's going to be fulfilled in and through me. But if you look at this whole passage, it also shows God's heart for the weak, God's heart for the oppressed and for the afflicted. I believe God's expectation for His people is that we have the same heart and the same concern for all these. You can almost imagine that when God looks at the things that are happening in this world and He sees His people being oppressed and afflicted and the injustice that is happening, that God's heart breaks. And He's, he's weeping loudly in that sense. Okay? He's, he's mourning to a certain point because He cannot stand these things happening and that's why he would send salvation to this world and against the injustice that's prevalent we are to mourn we are to we are to wail for these my question is are we aligned with the heart of god are we aligned with the heart of god do we identify with these in singapore sometimes it's a little bit difficult because they're so nicely tucked away we don't see them everything is so clean you don't see slums you don't see anything and our hearts can grow cold. You want to talk about kingdom assignments? What does God want us to do? Maybe He wants us to mourn for these, that we might move for these. Perhaps some of us might be stirred enough as we seek the Lord and, and touch His heart and experience what really breaks His heart. And then we begin to move out. But you see, before we can help others understand the blessedness of suffering and mourning, We ourselves need to be clear about this teaching first. So for the rest of this time, I want to look at two main points. One is, why do we mourn? What grieves us that we should mourn? Secondly, how do we mourn? And as we understand that, our hearts are open to understand the blessedness that comes through good mourning. So let's look at this very first point. We want to understand what grieves us. What are the things that come against us that would cause us that brokenness or that challenge or that suffering that would be painful enough that we begin to wail, we begin to weep, we begin to be broken and we mourn? Very quickly, the first one, we look at the causes of suffering and loss. One of the causes of suffering is the consequence of sin and of fallen humanity. We live in a fallen world. I hope you have realized that by now. 
You know, sometimes we say it, but we still don't fully understand that. And that's why we are disappointed. That's why we are discouraged. That's why we're hurt. We keep looking for a perfect condition. It's not going to happen. Humanity is fallen. And there is a consequence for that fall. We will all experience pain. We will all experience death. I mean, we die is one thing. But before we die, we experience someone else dying. That's another thing. And some of you have already gone through that. You have felt the pain and the hurt or the disappointment of losing a loved one, one who's close to you. And it may not even be in old age. It might be some who has gone, in our words, before his or her time. You have experienced that pain, that discomfort of sin, of sickness, of disease. This is the cause of suffering and, and we grieve because of this. It comes against us. And because of fallen humanity, there are two things that we can look for. There are the two types of suffering. One is what I call just suffering in that it's a suffering that we deserve. In other words, we brought it upon ourselves. This is a consequence of our own personal sin, our own decisions, our own action. For example, if you are greedy for money and you want to be rich and you look at this opportunity of gambling and then you lose your house, you lose your marriage, you lose your children, you lose everything and then you suffer because of that. Do you know that's just? You brought it upon yourself. You actually do deserve that. It's a consequence of your action. Or if it's laziness, if it's pride, we say things, we do things, we hurt people, and things come back against us. That's a consequence of our own sin. It's just. It comes back to us. Gluttony. If we can't control what we eat, and we justify each time we need to eat one morsel more of food, and later on we come up with all kinds of diseases or problems or ailments, and then we suffer, you can't get angry with God. It's just... If you have an anger management problem, you punch someone, you're going to get into jail. You kill someone, even worse. And then you suffer wherever you are. That's just. There's also unjust suffering in that you did nothing wrong, at least to the best of your knowledge. You try to be the best person you can be. You mind your own business. But somehow, trouble has a way of finding us out. We don't look for them. They just look for us. And so this could be a consequence of another's sin that can cause you pain. It can cause you suffering. It can cause you hurt. It can cause you deep grief. We've counseled women before who have encountered them for themselves, their own husbands being unfaithful. And when they find out that the husband has been unfaithful and yet appearing to be so nice to them and nice to the children and to the family, and everything looks okay, even in church and back at home, it breaks them. It hurts. Maybe as parents, you have experienced children who are rebellious. Maybe as a child yourself, you have experienced parents who have been unreasonable for any reason. Or you have been a subject, a target of bullying, intimidation. Today, there's this word called intolerance. You do everything right and someone will still hate you. The time is happening now that persecution is on the rise. It's already happening in so many other countries. I believe we will get deeper into subject when we come to the last beatitude. Do you know that in Singapore, we have it fairly easy. But the rest of the body, they are being persecuted. Have you been betrayed by someone? Maybe there are policies that have been passed, organizational policies. You know, someone says, you know, I think we have too many staff. Let's just lop off 20% of them. And then tomorrow you find that you don't have a job. You are suffering and you can't find a job for X number of months or years. You didn't do anything wrong. Someone just took a decision. And that's called unjust suffering in that sense. And we see examples in the Bible like Joseph. Jesus, of course, would be the prime example. And the big question you ask always in the heart when, you, when these things happen to us is, what did I do to deserve this? Right? What did I do to deserve this? And you need to evaluate and you can go through a checklist. But after you've gone through everything and you're clear, Lord, this is what I've done. I've not done anything wrong. Then rest in that. Don't beat yourself silly. There's also spiritual warfare. We are at war. We don't dispute that. The problem is that sometimes we don't realize that. Or we don't recognize that. 
And all Christians, we are at war, whether you want to admit it or not. If not, why are you issued weapons of warfare, mighty through God? If not, why do all of us have standard issue? We have the armor of God. Now, whether you put it on or not, it's another question, right? We are at war. In the Bible, many warfare, military imageries and terms, so many down there. We are at war. And so you can stand your ground, you can do everything as right as you want, and without any reason or your understanding, things can happen to us that cause us to suffer, which bring grief, that cause us to mourn. The best example in the Bible, I suppose, would be Job, right? He was this guy as pious as he could be, as faithful as he could be, pray for his children, you know, pray to the Lord and honor God and so on. And all God said was, have you considered Job? He's really good, you know, he's a faithful servant. He's like an archipus. He's awakened and he's aligned and he's assigned. He's doing everything he's supposed to be doing. Why don't you just, you want to test, test a good one like this? Huh? And it just happens in the spiritual realm that you and I can't even understand. And so this could be one reason, the, the cause of suffering. It can come in good ways, it can come in bad ways, things we expect, things we don't, things we deserve, things we don't deserve. It happens. So if you understand this general point, that gives you a context to get more deeply into the next one. Let's look at ourselves. Because the next thing uh, that we have to come to terms with is our, is our personal sin. Do we mourn for our own sins? Are our sins grievous to us? I submit to you, not all of us do that. In fact, if we want to be honest, most of us will look at ourselves and say, I'm not so bad, what? The one sitting over there is worse. You see, you see? And we we're pointing at other people and we're not looking at ourselves. And we don't grieve for our own sinfulness. Or at least our propensity to sin. You know, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, we know he comes into the presence of God. And the first thing he declares is, Woe is me, for I am undone. And how does he come to that realization? He sees an accurate picture of himself because he is in the presence of God. And this is a big thing for us to really ponder and consider because if really, if we do encounter the presence of God, who God really is, I tell you, the automatic reaction is grief for who we really are. We will see an accurate picture of who we are in the presence of God. Today, we feel good more than anything else. Nobody wants to talk about mourning. In fact, this message, I wonder how many listeners we will attract. Do we grieve at our own patterning and chasing after the world? James was addressing precisely that. He said, look at you guys. Your wisdom is not from above. It's not heavenly wisdom. Your wisdom is worldly wisdom. You know what it is? I'll give you three words in the Bible that says it is earthly, it is sensual, it is demonic. Now, if we understand that, we should grieve. It's like, man, God, you help me because I keep getting attracted to the things of this world. Then he says, look at you guys, chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. You are worldly, you are prideful, you are covetous. And that's why you don't get what you ask for because however you're asking, it is a wrong attitude. You want to have more than someone else. You want to spend it on yourself. We should be grieving when we are praying those kinds of prayer. James chapter 4 verse 7. Purify your hearts and you cleanse your hands. You're double-minded. And James is saying, come on, stop it. And he goes to the next verse in verse 9, chapter 4. Lament, mourn, weep. Someone tell me that James is not found in the New Testament. Is this addressed to Christians or not? If you're living the way of the world, that's something to cry about. That's something to get upset about. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. See, when was the last time we grieved about our behavior? When was the last time we got upset with ourselves for losing our temper with our wives or with our husband or with our children for no good reason? Does it even mean anything to us? 
Paul wrote to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 to 11. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a little while. But now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. Verse 10, For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation not to be regretted. That's good morning. But the sorrow of the world produces death. That's bad morning. You see, good morning is when we recognize our sin and we realize, man, we've been wrong. Lord, it's wrong. Lord, change this. I'm sorry. I turn. That's called repentance. And as we do that, it leads to salvation. Once again, friends, were the Corinthians as church, as Christians, were they saved already? Yes, they were. And yet Paul is saying, you make sure, be sorrowful for what you have done wrong so that you can repent so that it can lead to salvation. There's something in there that we've got to catch. Today we don't talk about these things. It's everything about positive thinking. It's all about, oh, come on, man. Let's go, rah-rah. Don't hit them down anymore. I mean, they came from a long day of work. I mean, look at their faces. Why beat them anymore? Right? Come on, give them a little hallelujah. Everyone say amen. Positive thinking. Church it should be like that. God doesn't want you to feel bad. He wants you to be happy. Because if he's happy, then you must be happy. And only if you're happy, then he's happy. So they tell you there's no more need for repentance. Don't grovel. Don't mourn. Laugh. There's a time for laughter, right? But there's also a time to mourn. See, until we acknowledge our sin, until we acknowledge who we are, honestly, there's no brokenness. Go listen to last week's discussion and teaching. There's no brokenness. And if there's no brokenness, there's no mourning. And if there's no brokenness and there's no mourning, then I wonder what kind of blessing we are having. Because I'm taking Jesus at His word. He says, blessed are those who mourn, and those who mourn rightly, and those who mourn well. The third thing is about corporate sin. And in corporate sin, we look at Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. We read the first half just now. He says, woe is me, I'm undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips. That's personal declaration. And he says, oh, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips also. So it's not just me, it's everyone else also. And if you look at the prophets, the Old Testament, you notice the prophets, when they touched the heart of God, when they received and understood what hurt God, it broke them. When they looked at the people and how they lived, it broke them. Jeremiah's nickname was called the Weeping Prophet. He's got a book called Lamentations. He was lamenting. He was looking over Jerusalem, desolate, overrun, crying out. You look at the prophets crying. How long? Why? they look at the people, they're crying, I believe, as they were preaching, the return to the Lord. Corporate sin, that should break us. The Old Testament prophets, God would tell them, take up a lamentation. Take up a lamentation. Take up a lamentation. Weep. Cry. Proclaim. Take up a lamentation over them. Mourn. Because it's not a good picture. And interestingly, after a certain point, he tells Jeremiah, do not take up a lamentation. Stop praying. Don't mourn anymore. Because even if you pray, I won't answer. Yeah, that's in Jeremiah. See, God's grace is amazing, amazing, amazing. But there will come one point where God says, that's enough. That's enough. Now, we don't like to hear that because those are not the songs we sing. But the Bible tells us that. Should we mourn for the body of Jesus Christ today? I leave you to ponder, really. I leave you to ponder. Will we consider the false prophets that have already entered into the fray? Will we consider the deception that is there and so many that are falling to this? That in itself should irk us. Should we mourn for the persecution of Christians around the world? 
Should we mourn for the worldliness of worship that we have? The state and the level of biblical illiteracy. Should we mourn for Laodicean lukewarmness? Churches who think they're alive, but actually are dead. Should we mourn for the apathy of believers? Should we mourn for the slumber of the saints? Does this break us, friend? And we've got to check our hearts, always. Because it's not about one-upness, you understand? It's not, it's, not, it's not coming to say, I'm better than you, that's why I'm saying this. No, we are all the same in need of the grace of God, amen? But because we've all received the grace of God, then we all must live in a way that the grace is not received in vain, amen? So how we mourn is important. It's not with pride, but with the brokenness to say, God, what you can do with me, you can do with them also. Should we mourn? I believe there's a place for that today, isn't it? Because if we look at the plight of fallen humanity, what's happening around this world, should we mourn? The evil that is there, the deceptions and the lies, whatever people say that they don't mean or whatever they don't mean but they say, all for the sake of money, all for the sake of greed, of expansion, so that a certain group can benefit at the expense of the larger population. Look at all the court cases that are now coming up in the internet and the news about politicians and so on. All the corruption that is taking place. Should we mourn? And because of these, many are oppressed, afflicted. Have you even once considered human trafficking, the problems that are there? Sex trafficking, women trafficking, child pornography, uh, uh, you know, child trafficking and they have no other choice but they are pushed into the sex trade and so on. Should we mourn for this? Yes, we say we should mourn for this, but isn't it scary that Christians themselves are falling prey to pornography? Right? On one hand, we are saying, yes, we should mourn. Oh, we shouldn't have this. It's injustice. And we are praying for our men because they are getting onto the internet and looking at these women. That's not good mourning. Have we considered the poor, the needy, the marginalized? I love that song, Hosanna by, by Hillsong, that there's a bridge that says, break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I have for your kingdom's cause. Do these things concern us, friends? Do these things concern us? Should we mourn? Do you think it's a place to mourn? Should we cry out and petition the Lord? This is why we mourn. Of course, things that happen to us personally, we mourn, yes. Things that we have lost, yes, we mourn, definitely. But I want to give you a big picture, a general context, so that when you look at this and you realize, okay, you know, I'm, I'm a part of this whole thing. That's why we mourn. That's why we cry. As we understand the cause of suffering, whether it's by ourselves or by someone else or you know, injustice and so on, we have to ask ourselves then now, how do we mourn? Because there's a right way to mourn and there's a wrong way to mourn and uh, we always want to wake up to a good morning. Yes? We, we don't want to have a bad morning. So a wrong way to mourn is to have a bad morning. You mourn. You complain, you gripe, you murmur. That's a bad morning. And that's a natural thing for all of us to do. The moment we hit the problem, this is what it is. And we call this ineffectual because if we go through a difficult time and a difficult situation and we don't learn anything from it, then no good would come out of it. And you, I'm sure you know of people where they keep hitting the, the wall over and over again, right? And we have this phrase, right, you know, wow, this one, uh, never learn from their past mistakes. So they keep going round and round in circles. It's ineffectual. And the more they hit, the more they complain. The more they hit, the more they murmur. And then they say, oh, I'm no good. La. I'm sway. La. You know, I'm this. La. I'm that. La. And they just spiral downwards. Now that's bad moaning. There's no blessing in this at all. And someone said this, look, if you want to suffer... Don't suffer for nothing. Suffer at least for something, correct or not? So don't have bad moaning. Suffering badly or ineffectual suffering is, is when you complain all the time, you get angry with God for letting it happen, you blame everyone around you, you neglect what God might be saying to you in it, and you try to get it over with as soon as possible. I'm quoting this speaker called R.T. Kendall. 
Says, this is ineffectual. If you find yourself doing it, that's bad moaning. Whatever you're going through, however painful. Christians should understand what good morning is. Someone asked C.S. Lewis, why do the righteous suffer? Why not? He replied. They are the only ones who can take it. That's an amazing reply, isn't it? Why is it so unfair that good people must suffer bad things? C.S. Lewis, I believe he's saying, because we know how to mourn well. We're the only ones who know how to take it. The rest of the world will not know how to take this. And so learn how to suffer well. Learn how to suffer well. Allow the situation to have God's desired effect upon us. What does God want for us when He allows something like this to happen to us, whether just or unjust? I've given you three verses there, and let me read it quickly to you so that you have a quick idea of what God's desire is for us. James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. This is the Lord's desire for us, that we will mature, that we will be complete, we will be perfect, that we will lack nothing. Tell me, is that a blessing or not? That's the blessedness of what God has for us. But what does it start with? It starts with the challenges, the sufferings, the trials, because it worketh patience. Now, a lot of people say, oh, can you please pray for me? Huh? I need to be more patient. And I ask this person, are you sure? Are you sure you want me to pray for you to be more patient? Because when I pray for your patience, it means more trials are going to come. So I might as well just pray more trials for you. But you understand God's desired effect for us, that we be perfect and complete. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 to 7. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while if need be. You have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What does God want for us? He wants to refine us. He wants us to, to shine like pure gold. He wants to test that faith that we declare in Him. Is it genuine? Is it real? Or is it just for show? What would bring that out? Suffering, problems, trials. We are broken. We mourn. As we mourn and it's real and we cling to Him, the blessedness comes through that refinement. Amen? You see all these things that the Lord wants for us? Romans chapter 5, verse 3. And not only that, we also glory or we boast in tribulations, knowing that the tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. When do we need hope? In good times or in bad times? Bad times. Good times, you don't even think about hope. But when it comes against us, that trial produces endurance, perseverance. We hang on. And in that we are mourning, we are crying, we are running to the Lord. And the Lord is changing us. And it builds that character to be perfect, to be complete, to be refined as pure gold. And in that character, when the right character is there, we learn to look to hold on to that hope. That's good morning. That's mourning and suffering well. Those who know how to mourn well would realize also that there is a timing, a season. There's a time to mourn and there's a time to grieve and there's a time when healing and release will come. So in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. Once we know this and understand this, then verse 4 comes in, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Now, I submit and I agree with you that 
when we're going through that pain, it seems like forever, isn't it? It's like, how long? When? And there are times where you have done everything that you could, you've prayed, you've fasted, you try to mourn as, as well as you, you can ever mourn, and you keep your eyes on the Lord, and still the Lord appears silent. It's called the dark night of the soul. It's like, man, God, what's it? Are you there? Yes, He is. He is there. It drives us. It drives us to Him. It pushes us. It keeps our eyes upon Him. And we just keep holding on. And we get into knowing who God is. We have a revelation of His faithfulness. We stand on His Word. We wrestle with things that we don't understand. And as we find Him, that's where the blessing is. Because He is the blessing. Remember in Genesis chapter 32, verse 24, in that episode where Jacob found himself wrestling with a man? He wrestled with this man until the breaking of day. Of course, that famous verse is, you know, he, he declares, I will not let you go until you bless me. And so today we tell people, you know, you must wrestle until you get your blessing. And I had a realization one day. And I wrote this down for myself and I asked myself, do we wrestle for a blessing or is the blessing found in the wrestling? Do we wrestle God for a blessing? God, give this to me, man. You got to give that to me. But actually we find that in that wrestling is where the blessing is. Because we think we're holding on to God. But actually God was holding on to Jacob. If you're going through that time right now, that time of mourning, and you don't know when that time ends, and it seems to get worse, it's almost like Jacob, isn't it? Wrestling. But we know it's always darkest before dawn. Always darkest before dawn. But how wonderful that he says, his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. You can misspell that word if you want. Joy comes even in and through that morning if we know how to mourn well. So if you want to learn how to suffer well, these are questions you must play and replay over and over again in your mind. When you're going through something that you can't understand, when your heart is broken, when you feel that everything is gone and you can't hold on anymore, you know, suffer well. What can I learn about God? What needs to be realigned? In times like these, these are questions that we should always ask. Ask yourself, what can I learn about myself? What needs to change? Ask, what can I learn about others? And ask, what can't I change? You know, sometimes we get very frustrated because we keep wanting to change the other person and we just can't. And in that, we are suffering even more. Suffer well. What are you learning about this person or these people? What can't you change? And finally, what can I learn about the situation? How am I to respond? Okay, these are good questions. And I tell you, you can, you can go over and over and over again and sometimes you're not satisfied with the answer, but ask it because these are good questions and it will help you have good morning. There was a Methodist minister by the name of Reverend William Sangster. And when he was told he was dying of progressive muscular atrophy, you know, where the muscles just go out of whack, they, they lose control, and they, they begin to walk very painfully. He made four resolutions. And he faithfully kept these four resolutions. Number one, I will not complain. Number two, I will keep the home bright. Number three, I will count my blessings. Number four, I will try to turn it to gain. And so we have to learn from a seasoned minister like this how to suffer well. How do we have good mornings? Now having considered this point about mourning and suffering well, do you think we can still declare, oh, the blessedness of suffering? Are we ready to scream this out right now at the top of our voices? I think it's still difficult, right? And I think that's why the second part of the verse is very important. 
Because Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And this word comforted is taken from this word called parakaleo. And para means alongside, kaleo means to call. And to comfort someone means to come alongside or call to, to be coming alongside. When I discovered this, it was a pleasant surprise because I've never done a study on this word. And from this one verb, we have that noun, which is parakletos. And you know parakletos is that term that is used by Jesus to describe the Holy Spirit. The word parakaleo means to help, to aid, to counsel, to guide, to support, or to advocate, to make a case on behalf, to encourage. And Jesus says, look, I have to go so that he will come and I'll send this helper to you. And one translation says helper, another one says comforter. But we know the Holy Spirit is also our counselor. He gives good advice. He's also our advocate in that he fights on our behalf. He makes a case for us. And so if you are going through something that you feel that you do not deserve, someone has wronged you, you know what? You run to the Holy Spirit and He makes a case for you. Amen? And in that you find comfort. Someone is willing to listen to you. Isn't it true that when you are suffering, many times we are misunderstood. People look at us and we, they, they think we have sinned. They think that we have not been faithful. They think that we, are, we have not believed something correctly. But blessed are those who know how to mourn well because when we run to the Lord, the Holy Spirit Himself, He is the one who helps us. He is the one who comforts us. He is the one who gives us wisdom and counsel to know how to go through this difficult situation. He is the one who fights for us, who makes a case for us, and He is definitely one who will also encourage us. Look at this verse in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. You see, if you are being wept for Jesus, blessed are you. If you are going through a trial because you are wanting to live this upside-down kingdom well, blessed are you. He gives the reason. For the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. The Holy Spirit of God rests upon you. This is the promise we have, amen? And I believe we have to be made aware of this so that whatever you are going through, whatever loss that you are trying to get over, if you understand this, you will see that the Holy Spirit is with you. And the promise of Jesus when He declares, my name is Emmanuel, God with us. This is true. You are never forsaken. You are never left alone. Note also the tense of this verb called parakaleo. The tense is written in the passive. You will be comforted. In other words, this comfort is to be received. It's outside of yourself. It's beyond yourself. See, this is important. Because today, many times, people tell you, come on, pull yourself together. I can't. Get over it. I can't. Come on. Think positive. I can't. This is to be received. It's beyond you. And that's why you have to be comforted. You can't do this to yourself. It's not possible. So we have to learn how to receive this comfort from God because it is God first who comforts us. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all our tribulation. God is the one who comforts us. How? He comforts us by His Holy Spirit. I've just gone through that. He comforts us by His Word. Have you gone through that? Where you know where you have felt lost and when you open up the Word and you speak it and you read it and, and comfort comes into your heart. This is what it's all about. And you begin to see God's faithfulness. You recount His grace. You experience His love. Oh, that's the blessedness of knowing our God. Amen? It is our God who comforts us. But at the same time, God can also comfort us through others. And that's the body of Jesus Christ. 
because it reads on after verse 4, God who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You know why God allows us at times to suffer things and to go through difficult moments? For one, that we learn. But it's always never for us only. You remember? What God gives to us, it's always for someone else. And so you may be going through something now that will be precious in time to come to bless someone else. Amen? That's what the body of Christ is all about. And so that we in that experience or through that experience, we'll know how to sympathize with someone, to empathize with them and to encourage them. Cancer patients know how to walk to, with someone with, who's going through cancer. Women who have had, suffered miscarriages who know how to speak to someone who has just lost a child. People who are divorced understand those who are going through a difficult moment in their relationships. See, if we are going to suffer, let's suffer well, Amen. So that in that suffering, we will receive a blessing that it encourages and comforts us, but it doesn't stay there, that this blessedness can also be passed on to someone else. During Queen Victoria's reign, she heard that the wife of a common laborer had lost a baby. And having experienced deep sorrow herself, she felt moved to express her sympathy. So she, she called on the bereaved woman one day and spent some time with her. After she left, the neighbors asked what the queen had said. And the grieving mother replied, Nothing. She simply put her hands on mine and we silently wept together. Sometimes the greatest comfort comes with no words. And sometimes the greatest problem is when we try to comfort with our kind of words. See, this is what our sufferings are all about. So that we can be a blessing also and that others can be a blessing also to us. But the greatest promise is that this is also passive future. This verb. In that we recognize the kingdom is now and yet it is not yet. It's not fully realized. And so the comfort that we receive is for now, it helps us, but I tell you, tomorrow a next problem comes and we are down again. Amen? And so the comfort that we receive is temporary. It's only for the interim. And that's why we, let, we must learn to suffer well so that we can develop this character that is needed within us, that, that the genuineness of our faith can be tested, that we will be perfect and complete, or at least moving towards that, that we will know how to continue to look to the hope that is in the future. Because we know one day, one day, there will be future deliverance. Amen? There will be comfort that will be full, and there will be total Jesus said in John chapter 16, verses 20 to 22, Most assuredly I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. Jesus, His own words, the world will rejoice at this point in time. They think they're having a great party, but you will sorrow, you will mourn, you will lament. Isn't it funny that we're, we, we keep trying to be like the world now? Isn't it funny that we're trying to bring all that in? And yet Jesus tells us, you get it correct. And He finally says in verse 22, Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. Hallelujah. Amen. One day, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be cool. It's going to be fine. That day, man, you can dance for all eternity and there will be great joy. Because he says that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's what John says in the Revelation. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Isn't that awesome? You see, and that's why we have to look ahead. But in the meantime, in the meantime, we've got to get ready for the other glory school. 
People want to touch the glory, see the glory, feel the glory, experience the glory. Everything is about the glory today. Because they say once you get into this glory cloud, everything is going to be okay because in this presence there will be fullness of joy and so on. Very, very biblical. But I think they miss one part here. Because this verse that we read, it says that if you are reproached for Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory rests upon you. We want the glory and we want the anointing, but we don't want the suffering. Am I correct? But I've got some truth to declare to you. The glory, the anointing and the suffering all go together. They all come together. We just read it. If you are going through that suffering, praise the Lord, you are blessed because there's an anointing upon you and there's a glory. The spirit of glory is upon you. This is what the Bible actually means. So the truth is, the greater the suffering, the greater the anointing. Anybody want the anointing now? It is true, right? Jesus actually says this. Don't you know you'll be glorified with me if you suffer with me? Or we only read half that verse also. So glory and suffering go together. The greater the suffering that you're going through, if you suffer well, if you know how to mourn in the right way, there will be an anointing that you will carry, amen? And it will be a blessing. But get ready for the other thing also. Because the greater the anointing, the greater the suffering too. Because as you receive the glory, you're moving out. The suffering will also come against you. For one, it keeps you humble. For, not, for another, it continues to refine you for a greater glory. See, this is important now, keepers. We've got to understand this. If not, we always think that if we walk right with God, nothing bad will happen to us. That is not true. If we go about our assignments, we need the anointing. But where do we get the anointing? If we will not even consider the suffering for the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be prepared. You will go through challenges. Charles Spurgeon had this plug on his wall quoting from Isaiah 48 verse 10. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. And so he wrote this. It is no mean thing to be chosen of God. God's choice makes chosen men choice men. We are chosen not in the palace, but in the furnace. In the furnace, beauty is marred, fashion is destroyed, strength is melted. Glory is consumed. Yet here, eternal love reveals its secrets and declares its choice. Anyone want to be chosen of God? He puts us through the fire. He does. You know, we can have coffee and we can talk of the challenges that we've all gone through. And we share stories. I can tell you, we will come to the conclusion that these statements are accurate. And so let's conclude Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I hope you agree that we will go through suffering at varying degrees. But we must learn to suffer well, so that we can learn to see and receive the blessedness of the kingdom in its fullness. And this blessedness is found in God's comfort, sustaining us for today and giving us hope for tomorrow. And in this, we discover Him, we know Him more, we draw near to Him, and He draws near to us. If we miss this, you'll be like waking up on the wrong side of the bed. It's going to be a bad morning. And even the best coffee cannot help. But if you get this right, even on the worst of days, it will be a good morning. One that God will turn into joy and dancing in His time. Amen? So I want to leave you with the words of a song by Laura Story. It's called Blessings. I'll just read one verse and one chorus to you because um, of the interest of time. And later on, I want to play you the song. Don't run away. I want that song to minister to us tonight. We pray for blessings. We pray for peace. Comfort for family. Protection while we sleep. We pray for healing for prosperity. 
we pray for your mighty hand to ease our suffering. And all the while, you hear each spoken need. Yet love is way too much to give us lesser things. Because what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? What if trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? So I wish you a good morning. Let's close in prayer and I'll play that song for you. And I pray that you enjoy it and receive the Lord's comfort even through that. Father, I just want to thank you, Lord, for this time of sharing. And Lord, we're not here to demean anyone's struggles or pain. We know, Lord, we have gone through some of that ourselves, some greater, some lesser. But whatever we go through, it is always painful at that time. But Lord, thank you for teaching us how to suffer well and what it means to understand the blessedness of that suffering, what it means to mourn well so that we can be comforted by you and to receive your grace in a time of difficulty. And so, Lord, I pray, whoever is finding it difficult at this point, whatever you're going through or times past, I pray for you and I declare the Lord's grace, the Lord's comfort, the Lord's love. That He's not giving you a hard time because He enjoys that. But there's a greater purpose beyond that. And I pray that you will learn to see it as you hold on to Him and allow Him to hold on to you. And so we thank you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. Thank you for loving us and being with us as we go through this. In Jesus' name, amen.